welcome. Uh, if you were the lucky person at the door that had the Hawaiian shirt on, you've wished us good luck for a week of sunny, sunniness this week. My wife said this is the first week we're going to turn on our air conditioning. I told her there's windows for that, so I don't think I won that argument. Welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning at Sunlight Community Church. We're in the third week of our disillusion series, What to Do When We Doubt. It's not a question of whether we doubt or not. We are going to doubt, so what do we do when we doubt? If you have our app, then you can click the link at the top of the feed. Um, you can find our digital bulletin and notes. We're going to be in the book of Mark today. Mark's the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark. And we're going to be going to Mark chapter 9. Let's, let's pray this morning as uh, we dig into God's word. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what it's like to be desperate. Each of us is desperate to be loved, to be cared for. And sometimes we seek that in, in places that are, that are not you, God. And so today as we hear someone struggling with desperation, with doubt, God, help us to, to be like the father in Mark 9. The father of the boy that, that, that has had trouble his whole life. That when he's struggling with doubt, he goes to a loving God that cares for him. Help us to do that. Help your Holy Spirit to move through our hearts and minds to see what it is that you would have us both change, but what you are doing and what you're changing in us. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been desperate? I mean, let's start with the mild desperation. So the mild desperation is desperate for water after a workout. That's mild desperation. Except for if your workout is like an ultra marathon, but that's beside the point. Or desperate for food, anything that will fill you up. My kids, every week, my seven-year-old decides to say she's starving. I really want to tell her there's no such thing as starving in, in our house because there's food. I mean, you can eat something that you don't like eating, right? Or maybe you're desperate because you're in pain and you want anything to take the pain away. Imagine with me for a minute. And some of you, it's been a long time since you imagined, so maybe you need to close your eyes. So just, just imagine with me for a minute. Imagine with me you're lost in the woods for days or even weeks, desperate for food and water, and there seems like there's no end in sight. Or imagine this. Imagine you have a chronic illness, or a family member does, and there's no cure for it, and there's no end in sight. Imagine that you've been longing for a close friendship or a wife or a husband and it's never come. What happens if we are desperate and what we're desperate for doesn't come when we want it? What happens? I can think of some words that would describe this. How, how, how would we respond? Defeated. I said desperate, desperate, right? Discouraged. Disappointed. Or maybe another D word. Doubt. We're going to start doubting. Doubting things that we had faith in before. So our doubt can come from disappointment in things or others, but it can also turn our desperation into a drive for answers and help. We can have desperate doubt. We can have desperate doubt. I know. 
a few weeks ago I said we can have healthy doubt. This is sounding like this is actually getting worse as the series goes on, right? We can have desperate doubt. Today we're going to encounter a desperate father. That his son has been inflicted with something that he's had since childhood. But he's going to be met with the savior that's defeated the enemy that he's facing. He goes from defeated, desperate, discouraged, disappointed, and living in doubt to belief. We can believe in God and struggle to believe. But Jesus will receive us even in our struggle. Just think for a second. We can believe in God and struggle to believe, but Jesus will receive us even in our struggle. The father we're going to hear about of this this boy is struggling to believe because of his previous experiences. How many people know someone like that? They're like, I don't believe in God. I don't go to church anymore because so-and-so or such-and-such did so-and-so and such-and-such to me. It's because of our previous experience. We're catching up with this father as the disciples have tried to remove a demon from his son. That's pretty important. They were unsuccessful, and they're bringing the boy to Jesus. So turn with me to Mark chapter 9, and I'm actually going to start in verse 20. So those of you that really like taking the whole passage are going to be freaking out right now, but start in verse 20. I'm going to read verse 20 through verse 23. And we're going we're gonna to learn a lot, a lot about Jesus and a lot about the father of this boy. So starting in verse 20 here, and they brought the boy to him, so the disciples brought the boy, okay? And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. And Jesus said to him, can you imagine being there and listening to this? Just wait, what if you can, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. I wanted to be a fly on the wall there, which we get to because we get God's word. So the disciples brought the boy that they couldn't help to Jesus. This moment that Jesus was seen by this evil spirit, it reacted. Why did it react? Because it knew it was Jesus. The boy fell on the ground, rolled about, foamed at the mouth. The evil spirit knew Jesus was God. Not that it was just Jesus, but it was God. James 2.19 tells us, even the demons believe and shudder. The demons know who God is. And James tells us they shudder. So the the demon is literally convulsing. That's a pretty similar response, right? It's afraid. This response is to be expected when the son of the living God is in the room. Satan will do anything to destroy us when Jesus is involved. We have a target on our back. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a target on your back. But we have Jesus on our side, which is a little bit different. What we are doing, what are we doing or not doing to invite Satan into our lives? The the demon here is clearly fighting the authority of Jesus. 
And I'm going to say something, and I'm going to say it a couple times because I think it's important. Because the first time I, I wrote this, I thought, well, someone's not going to understand this because it's, it's, not, the, it's not super intuitive. Is The power of Jesus is not in what he does. It's not in what he does. Yeah, he did miracles. He got raised on the third day. But it's in who he is. Who Jesus is, is what brings to the power to what he did on the cross. What does he do here? Jesus has compassion on the father before he identified that he actually needed it. He asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? I hate to ruin the story, but he already knows. So why is he asking? Because he cares. He didn't start with the father, he didn't say, just have faith. You notice that? He doesn't say, just have faith. As Christians have a tendency of saying, when someone's struggling, just have faith. He listened to what was going on. When interacting with someone struggling with major life trauma, let's not say, let's just have faith. Let's just, just have faith. But instead, be curious and turn to Jesus. That's what a faithful action is, not just saying, just have faith. The father responds to Jesus with a simple answer from childhood. This is all his family's ever known. This is all the boy's ever known, is, is this oppression that's happening, this possession. The father continues and shares what the evil spirit is trying to do. He's trying to destroy the boy in fire and water. He's trying to burn him or drown him. I can't think of, like, those are pretty extreme things. They don't mix together because, you know, if you're on fire, you want water, but they're both terrible things when you're being thrown into them. The father is desperate. Now he says to Jesus, and, and I want you to understand this. He's saying to the son of the living God, the people that, that, that know this, they've already known he does miracles. He says, and he starts, if you can do anything, Jesus, if you can do anything, can you imagine the desperation he's feeling? He's pretty desperate. If you can do anything, just do it. He's not just like, well, if you can do anything. He's screaming out. He's crying out. And then he says, have compassion on us and help us. He's doubting Jesus to his face. How many of us have done that at some point in our lives? Maybe even right now. He's doubting Jesus to his face, mostly because of the failure of the disciples. So if you read earlier, go before verse 20. If you have your Bible, you can look look earlier. If you look earlier, the disciples failed. They couldn't get this demon out of the boy. But then also, the father's still struggling with believing in Jesus. If you can, your disciples can't, I, I get that, but if you can, we can believe in God, and the father's stuck here, we can believe in God and struggle to believe. But Jesus will receive us, and he receives him even in our struggle. What does Jesus do next? He says to the father of the boy, if you can, I just, I'm trying to figure out what the tone was. That's why I said I want to be a fly on the wall. What was the tone that Jesus had? If you can, are you kidding me? If you can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. So this is not some blank check with God. It, what is possible is what God wills. Jesus repeats what the Father says. If you can, is recognizing what is going on. 
Jesus is being challenged. Does any of you like being challenged? I'm sure Jesus really, I don't know. I don't know if he liked it in this situation. But he drew out our need. He draws out the need of the Father, and then he's up to the challenge when we challenge him. But, as we see here, the challenge is really your belief. Belief must not go farther than God's clearest promises. It's not a question of whether Jesus can do it. It's a question of belief. Do you believe he can do it? And that's what he's telling the Father in response. This doesn't mean that God is like a genie in a lamp. And we just rub the lamp, and all of a sudden we believe something, and God grants us wishes, and it means God will move in our way that we want. But he will move, it means that he will move in ways that his character says and his will says. Belief requires a humble faith. And we're going to see the the Father's response in in a few seconds. D.L. Moody, that founded Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, said there's three types of faith. And I think it's important to understand that when we're struggling in our faith, we still have faith. Like some people might think, well, I'm struggling right now, so I, I, I just don't have faith at all. That's not really true. There is really three types of faith. There's struggling faith, like a man in deep water desperately swimming. I just imagine someone treading water in the middle of the ocean, waiting for help to come. But they still have faith. They haven't given up yet. Clinging faith, like the man hanging on the side of a boat. You're, you're, you're close to where you need to be. You're clinging to that. You might be struggling, but you're still treading water. And resting faith, like someone safely inside the boat, able to reach out and help get others get in. You ever do that? I mean, we have a lot of lakes around here. You ever try to help someone get out of the lake? That's resting faith. When we're struggling and desperate, God is still there receiving us. When we're barely clinging, God is still there. When we're resting, God is still there. So we can believe in God and struggle to believe. But Jesus will receive us even in our struggle. Which type of faith describes you today? Which type of faith? Struggling faith? clinging faith, or resting faith. I, I can tell you that, that the father here, you might say, was probably struggling or clinging. We can experience all three kinds of faith, sometimes moving between them in the same day. Does it ever feel really weird? Like one moment you're like, man, I feel really strong right now, and the next minute you're desperate? The father here is desperate, and his response shows us a place that all of us have been at some point in our lives. Follow along with me, starting in verse 24. His response to Jesus is so profound, and sometimes we just miss the little details here that are so important. Starting in verse 24, immediately, so like right after Jesus says this, the father of the child cried out, and it, it, it says it's like tears. He was crying And said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter again. And after crying out, convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. And then most of them said, He is dead. 
Don't cheat and look at verse 27, okay? Don't cheat. Boy's father cries out in tears, I believe, help my unbelief. This is all I got. The word translated unbelief here literally means weak in faith. I believe, but I'm weak in faith. He just self-identified as someone struggling in their faith. He's treading water in the middle of the ocean. He doesn't know what to do next, and he doesn't see help coming. He doesn't see the boat. He doesn't see the person pulling him up into the boat. How can doubt and belief be in the same person? How? The faith displayed by the father here of the boy was an unconditional openness to God. God, help my unbelief. Even though it was mixed with doubt, help my unbelief can be a prayer we pray. Wake up in the morning, just like the Lord's Prayer. God, help my unbelief, because I know I, there's something I'm not, I'm not believing right now. God welcomes our doubt when we bring it to him. The crowd that was there and the Father had a view about Jesus based on what the disciples were not able to do. Based on nothing having to do with Jesus but his disciples. So how do we apply that here? People's view of Jesus is often formed by what they see his followers do or not do. That's you and I. People's view of Jesus is formed by what you do or not do. The disciples failed at what Jesus will now do in his power. We have access to that same power, not in our own strength. But the dark side of doubt is us trying to do things in our own power. And that only is going to lead to failure. Jesus has all power and authority. If you were with us two weeks ago, I mentioned three types of doubt. And those three types of doubt were intellectual, emotional, and moral. Which type of doubt do you think that father had? He was having a moment of doubt. And you probably could say it was more than one of those. But I think the main one was intellectual doubt. Which I defined as when our mind becomes unsure if the teachings of Christianity are true. Jesus has been teaching that he can heal. He's actually healed people. But really, can he? That's what the father's doubting. How can he help my son when no one else can? Look what happens next. Jesus rebukes the demon. It's really quick. Jesus rebukes the demon. The spirit made it so the boy could not speak or hear. And Jesus commands it to leave and not come back. Jesus has all the power and authority. The boy starts convulsing again. And then the passage says he looks like a corpse. Again, very visual, very descriptive about what's going on. If, if something like that happened in front of you, and then the person looks like a corpse, be pretty, pretty scared. You might still doubt. To borrow from how Mark describes things, immediately, he used the word immediately, immediately the people say, he is dead. Can you imagine me and the father for that one, however long that was, maybe five seconds, maybe it was ten minutes. Imagine being the father of that boy that you just said, help my unbelief, 
and then your boy convulses again, which you've seen multiple times, and then he looks like a corpse. It doesn't say that the father started screaming, Jesus, you did this. It wasn't an easy experience. Imagine being there for a second. The father's got a conflict. That's why I'm saying we can believe in God and struggle to believe. This moment is another struggle. But Jesus will receive us even in our struggle. You have to go from death to life to dethrone Satan. Sounds like a weird way to say that. But, but do we believe the God the scriptures describe? Do we believe in that God? Do we believe that God will do what he promises? Do we believe that Jesus has the power? And the father believed. The father of that boy believed. Do we believe Jesus has power when we're defeated? When we're desperate? When we're discouraged? When we're disappointed? Or when we're doubting? Those of you that cheated earlier, you already read verse 27. So... You don't get the answer here. I'm going to read verse 27 because we see what seems like an endless eternity of the father that just prayed, help my unbelief. It seems like an endless eternity. And then verse 27 happens. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. The boy was healed from everything that had ailed him. That spirit was gone. Just when it seemed darkest, God won. The image of God was restored and Satan was defeated. Jesus won the battle, but the definitive victory came on the cross. Dallas Willard once said, It's possible to go to heaven with a lot of doubts. And it is possible to go with a lot of certainty, or it is possible to go to hell with a lot of certainty. People do it every day. Let me, let, me, let me unpack that a little bit. God shows compassion with those struggling with doubt. Doesn't he? The father, he asks him, like, how long has this been? What is this? What's going on? He says, from childhood. Jesus shows compassion on the desperate father. The desperate father is doubting, but I'm sure I'm going to see that desperate father in heaven right now. I, I know that. When I, when I meet Jesus, I'm going to see that desperate father and go, you're the one in Mark 9, that had doubt, and yet you're still with Jesus. But it's also very possible, with some great certainty, to go to hell. Some of us are desperate on behalf of our children or others. So how have we been bringing our unbelief to God? Are we as unconditionally open as the desperate father was? Are we saying, God... I don't know what to do right now. And you know what? Maybe if you're in, in some point in life where, you know, everything seems to be going okay. I'd be more scared of that almost than difficulty. So what? How do, we, how do we apply what we see here? How do we act like this desperate father without sounding like a crazy person, right? So he's desperate, so desperate, he doesn't care what other people think. So what are we going to do? We're not going to hide our doubt, but we will bring our unbelief before a loving God. Jesus didn't rebuke him. If you notice, Jesus might have been a little bit sarcastic, because he goes, if you can, what do you, what do you mean if you can? 
but he received it. So we're not going to hide our doubt, but we'll bring our unbelief before a loving God. Sometimes because shame in our culture from the church, we hide our doubts. But God receives us even in our doubt because he loves us. We don't need to hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden because God sent his son to die on a cross for us so we don't have that same difficulty. The cross was the bridge that conquered all doubt. Because of that, we don't have to hide our doubt. If someone comes to you with doubt, be like our heavenly father. Listen. Love them. So how can we be for our community in this? What does it look like to have desperate doubt that ends up before God? We've been talking about how we are forced to bend. So how are we forced to bend? The first thing we need to do is be vulnerable. There's actually been a lot of research on vulnerability, and vulnerability is actually what allows people to survive as, as leaders or people, people in a community um, if they're vulnerable. We need to be open about our struggles and allow the Holy Spirit to, to allow you to share those when it's helpful. But also bringing people to the loving God that's greater than our doubt. You know what's interesting about the father in that passage? He says, I believe. So he said he believes. Help my unbelief. Help my weak faith. He had weak faith. But his faith was, was larger than most of ours. He thought he had weak faith. I don't think it's ever bad to think you have weak faith. Because then you're going to continually pursue God in that. Be clear about the victories that Jesus is bringing in your life in the middle of the struggles you are having. So how does this connect to our church values? We're going to bring people to Jesus that don't have belief. Is Jesus greater than your doubt? Okay, I'm going to expect a response now. Everyone awake? Is Jesus greater than your doubt? Okay. If Jesus is greater than your doubt then we can bring people to Jesus that don't believe yet. That don't have belief. So how desperate are you in your relationship with Jesus? Remember the three types of faith I mentioned earlier? There's struggling faith, desperately swimming in the deep water, trying to survive. There's clinging faith, clinging to the side of a boat. Or there's resting faith that's already safe in the boat and is able to reach out and grab others out of the water and pull others in which type of faith do you have now and how can that help you bring people to Jesus if you have struggling faith share some of your struggles pointing back to Jesus because we know we got to bring our doubt to him we can't hide it if we have clinging faith share how you're clinging to the promise of eternal life if you have resting faith reach out to others with the good news of Jesus Christ, that they can rest in the same way you have peace and you have joy. Encouraging them not to hide their doubt, but take it to God because he loves them. If you have no faith, what, what does this passage have? The father that has faith, but no... I, cry out to God, help me with my unbelief. Help me. We build into others not to hide, but bring their unbelief to God. That, that is who we are as a church. There are defeated, desperate, discouraged, disappointed, doubting people in our lives. 
that need to know that God meets them there. So instead of hiding from God, causing another D word, which is a divorce in our relationship with God, we need to run to him. Run towards him. And like the father in Mark 9, 24, we need to be crying out to God. I believe, but help me with my weak faith. My weak faith. So how are we going to do all of this? Church, how are we going to do it? We will not hide our doubt, but bring our unbelief before a loving God. Are you hiding right now? Where's your unbelief taking you? To God? Let's take it to God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that you are a loving God, that you are a God that loves us and cares for us. Some of us are in the moment in verse 26 where God has done something miraculous in our life, but it still looks like it's dead and there's a corpse and we're waiting for verse 27 where Jesus is going to pick us up back up to new life. And God, I pray this morning that you would allow us to see that moment, much like that desperate father in Mark 9 that just didn't know what to do, was consumed with doubt that he actually told the the one that could do something, if you can, God, help our unbelief. Help our unbelief that you can't do miraculous things in the world today. God, help our unbelief when we're struggling to see how you're working. Help our unbelief when we wake up in the morning and forget that you are a loving God, that we can bring our doubt to you. God, wake us up. And whatever we're struggling with in our faith, help us to get to the next step in our faith, whether it be to cling to the gospel, to Jesus Christ, or whether it's we're, we're at the point in our lives where we need to start pulling people into the boat with us. God, help us to have that kind of faith. And for those of us that are treading water right now, that are struggling, God, help us as a church to come around them and help them to cling and help them to rest in Jesus Christ. We say all this in his name. Amen.